So today, we're going to be talking about the restless in-between times of our lives. And um, just as a personal example, um, about a year ago, I was having a good time with the Lord, uh, studying his word, and I'd been graduated from seminary for a year, but I, I still hadn't really stepped out and, and asked Mark, you know, can I, what about me preaching? What about me, do you think I should have a career in ministry? I just had my job at Gordon College in admissions, but um, the Lord really spoke to me and said, you know, you're going to, no, you, this is a big part of your calling is preaching, and so let's, let's get going on that. Um, and, and then now today is, is when I'm actually here in front of you. So these last year has been, I think, in my life, a bit of a restless in-between. Um, there's been a growing sense of call, but there's been this time needed to learn, to grow, to mature. And it hasn't been all feeling secure. So um, there have definitely been doubts and tears and questionings. Um, but I think that our text today helps us when we think about these restless in-between times. So that's my example. Uh, what are your examples? Are you in a restless in-between time? Are you in a graduate program where you feel like, I'm, I'm going to be this amazing lawyer, but I'm just here in grad school right now, and it's really hard, and I don't know if I'm ever going to see that end game? Or did you just move to the city because God called you here, uh, but you haven't really found the friendships or the relationships or the, the good family feeling that you're missing? Um, or maybe it's just a Thursday and you were really excited about God on Sunday, but it's four days into your work week and it's not feeling so exciting and it's just, just sort of in between. But you know that maybe next Sunday you'll you'll really feel God again. Um, my goal today is to help us think about where is God and what does God say to us in those in-between times so that we can feel his presence even on a Thursday, even during our grad program, even when we're waiting uh, for God's full blessings of friendship or love to manifest themselves in our lives. So, um, and my caveat is I don't want you to think about necessarily your deepest time of trial or crisis or danger, but just these restless in-betweens. I think that's sort of the best example of what we're talking about today. So the biblical example is John 21. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, pull it out. We're going to go through the text, and um, I'm excited to sort of help this become one of your favorite passages too. It's one of my favorites. The quote on the front of the bulletin is, and Jesus said, let's have breakfast, or come and have breakfast, and I just love that. Okay, so I'm going to make the argument to you that these disciples are in a restless in-between time, and to really try to get you to imagine how they might have felt. So I think that there are five reasons that they are in a restless in-between time. The timing, the location, the behavior, the result of that behavior, and even the time of day. So I'm just going to read the first three verses. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, 
we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So I don't know if you know this, but the timing, here the first of the five reasons that this is, I think, a restless in between is the timing. So we're still in between Easter and Pentecost. Um, we're in the 50 days between what would have been the Feast of Passover and, the, and this other harvest festival, which the Hellenistic Jews called Pentecost. Penta for 50. Um, it was 50 days after Easter. So this year we celebrated Easter on April 30th, and Pentecost will be still a couple weeks away uh, in June 8th, I think. So we're in these 50 days, and it feels like a long time. Do you guys even remember? Easter was just a few weeks ago. It was really exciting. We all felt the true uh, truth of the resurrection, um, but now it's been a couple weeks, and it can be easy to forget that even though we do have the Holy Spirit already. So it's between Easter and Pentecost, um, and it actually comes right nicely after the end of John 20 is the Doubting Thomas narrative, which Pete preached on a few weeks ago. That was sort of eight days after Easter. And then this 153 catch of fish, that's somewhere in between the sort of eight days and then Pentecost, which is still a couple weeks away. We know it's coming, but they don't, they don't really know it's coming. Um, The location. So where are they? So we know that they were in Jerusalem before, and they're going to be back in Jerusalem for Pentecost, and all the Jews will be gathered, and it will be just the perfect opportunity for God to pour out the Holy Spirit and have Peter preach to the crowds. But they're not there yet. Everyone's back home, and so the disciples are too. We We see here that Peter and John, and the sons of Zebedee, John and James, that they're back near their hometown. So I had to look this up, but the Sea of Tiberias is actually the Sea of Galilee. That's the same thing. Um, This was the site of a lot of Jesus's ministry. The Sermon on the Mount was near the Sea of Galilee. Um, The original catch of a lot of fish that burst the nets in Luke 5 was on the Sea of Galilee. You should remember that. Um, But yeah, they're back home, and they're doing something that they've done before. So this is the the third reason, the timing, the location, the behavior. So this is a group of disciples who have witnessed the risen Lord, but they're, they're not on mission yet. They're back home, they're going fishing, they're keeping busy. Some commentators try to get really angry at the disciples for fishing. How dare they go fishing? They've seen the risen Lord. This is apostasy. Um, and then others are very defensive of them. They say they have to eat. It's not time yet. Give them a break. Um, And I I fall more in the latter camp. You know, I just see this group of guys. They've been together with Jesus all these years, and they've witnessed him resurrected, and they haven't split up. They haven't gone back to their old lives, but they're just together and hungry, and they know how to fish. And Peter says, let's go fishing. And it's kind of like when you're on a camping trip and someone says, let's go for a walk. And everyone says, yeah, me too. Let's go. Let's go. I'll go too. So I don't think all seven of these guys were fishermen before, but they all pile into this boat. They go fishing at night because that was a good time to go fishing. Back in that time, you would fish at night, and then you would sell your fish in the morning um, at the market. So they're, they're out fishing, and they caught nothing. So that's the result. So the location, the timing, the behavior, and the result. So... They didn't catch anything. 
I wondered, would they have been totally freaked out? Is this part of the miracle that they didn't catch anything? You know, this foreshadows that Jesus must be coming because we would never not catch anything. Um, But no, I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's just a normal night. Um, The Sea of Galilee was 64 square miles, about the size of Boston and some of Boston Harbor. It was a big area. You know, maybe they were in not the best area to catch fish. Or maybe it was these three guys who aren't normally fishermen and they're making too much disruption on the boat, scaring the fish away. Whatever it is, they didn't catch any fish. Which, that, that's frustrating. If you think of um, something in your day-to-day life at work, when, you know, you're not trying to go proclaim the gospel, you're just trying to get this spreadsheet to work, and it doesn't work. <laughs> and you sort of have a choice of how you're going to react to that. Um, so these guys, they caught nothing. And they're, and they're hungry. They're hungry, too. They're going to probably eat some of this fish. Um, and then the last piece where I think, I think it supports the argument that the disciples are in a restless in-between is the fact that it is night, that we're going to be moving from night to dawn. And I just say that because this is John. So John makes a point of saying that it's night. And then the next verse is, just as the day was breaking, Jesus... And we know that John loves to do the imagery of light and dark. And, and I'm sure that when he was reflecting on this incident, he was thinking, oh, I have to include this one. Because Jesus shows up when the light shows up. It was perfect. It was so great. Of all the miracles that, that Jesus performed, I'm definitely going to include this one in my gospel. All right. So I think we've established the disciples are in a restless in-between time. And what happens? Um, What does Jesus do? I'd like to show you that Jesus does two things. He offers his surprising provision, and he offers his familiar presence. Um, I think it's really easy to come to church and think, if I can just remind myself that Jesus died and rose again, that he died for my sins, that he's resurrected, then everything will be better. Um, and when Mark and I were talking about, you know, what passage do I want to preach on, I was thinking, well, Romans 8. Romans 8 is such a good proclamation. You are not in the flesh, you're in the spirit, and it's just this great gospel message. But I think that John 21 was giving me a greater palpable picture of that. It's that I want to see actually Jesus showing up providing in ways and offering his familiar presence. So that's why we're here, um, is to just give us a practical example of this. So um, Jesus offers his surprising provision and also his familiar presence. And I think that reveals two aspects of his character. So God is Lord and God is friend, which it's always good to keep in mind. Um, And if anyone knew about Jesus's familiar presence, it would be the disciples who had shared their life with him. All right, so let's dive in. Let's keep going. First, surprising provision. Okay. In verse 6, we see that Jesus said, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. So he's providing fish. And then skipping ahead to verses 9 to 11, when they got on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it already and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have caught. 
So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. So Jesus gave advice about where to cast the net. He gave them the 153 fish. He gave them the fish on the grill and the fire and the bread. Um, And that's awesome and that's comforting. It doesn't end the restless in-between. It doesn't bring them fast forward to Pentecost, but it's a surprising and generous provision. Um, Just while we're here, I want to say to compare this to Luke 5. So in Luke 5, there was a huge catch of miraculous fish, and the nets were broken, and the two boats sank. Um, But here, it's, you know, it's a smaller version of that. Jesus still helps them catch a miraculous catch of fish. But I think that's why, and some commentators say that's probably why they named the 153. is because if you're trying to say, okay, it was amazing. Jesus, he had us catch this big catch of fish again, but not as big as the last time, but still really big. Well, how big? Well, it was 153. Oh, okay, okay, now I get it. And fishermen would have counted their fish. It was normal. Um, Either just to say, this is amazing. How many is it? But also just because you would count your catch. This is their business. So um, for many, many years, people have tried to read into what does 153 mean, and none of the arguments are very convincing. Um, They say like one plus five plus three and uh, is nine, which is three times three, Trinity. But that doesn't, that's it. So let's just say it's 153 and take also with you a healthy skepticism. Like you can read the Bible in that way when you're reading it. Just say they were just counting. Um, So he gives them fish, which is so nice, and a hot breakfast and fire. But what is most important to me, what's even better than the surprising provision, even though that's the actual miracle, you could say, is the second thing that Jesus gives, and that's his familiar presence. Oh, it's so comforting. So let's unpack this. Um, As I was reading this, I just couldn't get over the idea that these guys had been bros. They had been friends. Um, And that Jesus, I think... I think he's punking them. I think he's just, whatever is a most re- the most respectful way of saying this, but I want to argue that this is a recognizable, inside jokey miracle. Um, and I'll go through why, but basically, just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. It's 100 yards off, um, and so that might be why they don't recognize him. That's the length of a football field. Um, He stood on the shore. The disciples didn't know it was Jesus yet. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? Which actually it's like padia, which means children, but it can also be like lads or boys. And then it's not, do you have any fish? It's a question in the negative. It's, you don't have any fish? So it's like, guys, you don't have any fish? And then they say, no maybe still thinking it's just a helpful fisherman on the shore. And he says, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it and they weren't able to haul it in. And the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. 
And um, I just love that. So I'm going to go to Luke 5, just to try to make this argument. Um, Luke 5 gives the account of when Jesus first calls both Peter and John. Um, So when Jesus had finished speaking, he said to Simon, who was Peter, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. This is Luke 5, verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. This is Peter before. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners, which we know later is James and John, they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. So it's not a direct illusion. This isn't the same gospel. It's a different gospel. But, you know, I just think of all the, like, the disciples were in this restless in-between time. Jesus could have shown up at any time, but he shows up now. He shows up when they're fishing. They don't catch fish. He helps them catch fish. John knows right away, this is Jesus. Oh, my gosh. And then characteristically, too, I like how John writes about Peter. John is quick to thought. Peter is quick to action. So John writes, The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he'd stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about 100 yards off. I mean, it's just adorable, this... And, and in researching this, it was just fun for me to realize, like, these guys have been friends since before Jesus. Um, and they're back fishing, and, and then this is how Jesus shows up to them. So, um, yeah, I wrote in my notes that John says, it is the Lord, you punk. Like, <laughs> um, all right, all right. So, moving on. Um, then what happens? So... Jesus, I mean, this is the resurrected Jesus, so they're experiencing comfort, they're experiencing awe, so should we when we think about God, um, but also just remember that, like, he loves us, and he's, he's going to serve us breakfast. So let's move on to verse 12. So Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, this is verse 12, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So Jesus is present with them, serving them miraculous fish. He's the resurrected Lord. It's this juxtaposition between the miraculous and the mundane And I think that's what we live a lot of our lives in as Christian. We still have to get up. We still have to brush our teeth. We still have to take the subway. But the risen Lord is living within us by the power of his Holy Spirit. 
It's, a mer- it's amazing. So instead of thinking, I, as I was thinking about this, it's easy for me to think that I'm with God when I'm on. Like I'm with God here at church. I'm with God when I'm having a really good interaction with a student. I work with international students at Gordon College that when I'm really speaking God's truth to them or comforting them, that's when I'm with God. But when I'm frustrated or I'm just in this in-between stage, that, that's, that God's not there, that that's sort of when I'm on my own. But I think it's really, really helpful for me to see that, no, Jesus is like with me even in those times. Um, and I imagine that if Jesus were to show up to me and give me breakfast, I would say, but God, breakfast, really? Don't you want to tell me exactly like what group of people I should go talk to and tell about your gospel? Uh, are you mad at me? Like, who has time for breakfast? And I think that he would say, that's coming. I mean, these disciples were two weeks away from Pentecost, but it's still hard. It's still hard to be in that in-between. So Jesus is like, it's coming, but get over here because you're hungry and you're mortal and you need to just take some bread and fish already. And I want to ask, who are you? But I don't because I know it's the Lord. So what does this mean for us? How can we apply this to our lives? I think it's three things. I think it's we apply this to our lives by recognizing God in the mundane, by tearing down the wall between God time and regular time, between Sunday and neighborhood group and prayer and other, and being more aware of his moment-to-moment presence and in a way that doesn't take us away from life. So as I was trying to think about this week, I was thinking, God, what if I don't give myself the excuse that it's okay to be a little rude at work because I'm not, you know, that's not, I'm not like ministry. But if I'm like, no, this is my whole life. I think it just called me to a greater sense of like, God is always with me. And so I should always be displaying his character, but also leaning on him. It was just a greater like moment to moment awareness of him and not in a way that took me away from the mundane, but that was in the mundane. And it infuses life with a sense of awe and love. So like Jesus eats breakfast. I love that. The second way we apply this to our lives is I think that we can find comfort in biblical examples. So even these pillars of the church were feeling restless and unsure and waiting. And this, this, is, the best, this is the best we've got. This is the best example. Um, you know. And if these guys were not really knowing what to do, going fishing, needing Jesus' comfort... It's just a good reminder that that's okay for us, too, as we're waiting for what's next. Um, And then third, guys, we are going to celebrate Pentecost in a couple weeks, and I want us to just celebrate that even more, uh, remembering this context. So it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's a whole 50 days after Easter. The disciples know that Jesus is raised from the dead. He keeps appearing to them at different times. They don't know what's next, and soon they'll be, this is at least comforting in their comfort hometown, but they're going to make the journey back to Jerusalem, along with Jews from all around the world. They're going to be there. They know that they're supposed to just wait for something to happen, and then... 
the Holy Spirit is going to descend on them and send them out in mission um, into the whole world, the mission that we continue to this day. So um, if God sort of ended their restless in-between with Pentecost, you know, what can we expect him to end our restless in-betweens with now? Um, so I just want to pray for you guys, and that's the end of the sermon. So let's just bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, um, you know all the restless in-betweens that everyone is in right now, God. And um, Lord, we just wait on your timing and we wait on you. God, I pray that we would not be so restless, that we would be content in you and looking forward. God, I pray that you would let, that we would let you shape us in the mundane, that we would always be aware of your presence and that we would um, just look forward to celebrating Pentecost in a couple weeks, but also just be thankful that the real Pentecost already did happen and we already have your spirit living within us. Um, Lord, if there are those who don't know you, God, I pray you would continually draw their hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.